How good and pleasant it is when we live together in unity. It is like precious oil on the head, the blessing of the Lord. Let us worship God. Will you join me in our prayer of confession and forgiveness? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Trusting in God's mercy, let us confess our sin. Let us pray together. You have shown yourself to us, O God, by word and spirit, with signs and wonders, in flesh and blood. 
yet we, will, we still struggle to live and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us, forgive us, enter into our lives and cast out our fear so that we may come to trust in you and have life in Jesus' name. Amen. We have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who offered his life in love to save the world from sin. This is the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Our Hebrew scripture this morning comes from Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. I'll be reading two different verses, two different versions. The first is New Revised Standard Version. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. And again, how wonderful, how beautiful, when brothers and sisters get along. 
It is like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. Our Christian scripture this morning is the scripture that is always on this second Sunday of Eastertide. Always, no matter whether we are in year one, two, or three, A, B, or C of the lectionary, we have the passage from John's 20th chapter, verses 19 through 31, and I invite you to listen for the word of God. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews had locked the doors of the house. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and side. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. Just as the Father has sent me, I send you. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Thomas said, my master, my God. Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I see... 
O'Neill children, girls, good morning. Fiona, Clara, good morning. How are you today? They're looking around going, why is this person talking to us? Well, I, I want to ask our kids who are with us, and that's kids of all ages, you know that very well. Has there ever been a time when you changed your mind? Hmm. Now, some of us can say, never, I have never changed my mind, I'm always right. But that's not me. I change my mind oftentimes depending on what I see and what somebody tells us. And so that's our story this morning, is that Thomas changed his mind. He had decided one thing, but he decided something else after he got more information. And he was allowed to change his mind because of grace. Because God loves us and knows that we are a work in progress. We are always changing. And that's something important for all of us, all of our children, to remember this day and always. Will you join me in a prayer? Let's pray. Let's put our hands together and pray. Holy God, thank you that we can change our minds, that we can learn and grow, that you give us brains and expect us to use them. Be gracious to us, we pray. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Oh God, creator of heaven and earth, out of deep waters you brought us to birth, claimed us as children of wonder and worth, O God of deep flowing water. Over the years I've often been asked by parishioners about how we pastors prepare for a sermon. Usually my response is with fear and trembling, but um, I know that that's not really what they're asking. What they're asking is the how, the, the how it actually happens and what we actually do. They're asking what our exegetical process is. And before you think I'm, I'm saying extra Jesus when I say exegesis, exegetical exegesis deals with an in-depth study of some text, usually scriptural texts. And so that's what exegesis means. It means how we critically look at the text. And that's something that you actually, as a seminarian, are trained in as soon as you get to seminary. You are invited to figure out what your exegetical method is going to be as you approach the task of preaching. 
Usually, it has something to do, goes something like this. You read the text. You read it in different translations, like I had Bruce read this morning, that wonderful psalm, how good and wonderful it is when sisters and brothers, when kindred gather together. It also includes reading it in its original text, and I will tell you that I stopped doing that sometime, oh, probably a couple of years after I was out of seminary. <laughs> there are classmates of mine who still, on a regular basis, read the Greek New Testament. And they don't read it just to read it. They read it for content and expression. I don't know. My mind does not work that way with texts, but that's okay. But you read the text, and you pray, and you study. You then go to other sources, commentaries on the texts by scholars that you know and love, and sometimes by scholars that you don't know and may not love. Because what good is it only reading the things you agree with? And then you pray one more time, and this prayer is really, really important. This prayer is, oh God, just give me one thought. Because as you know, any time we approach the text, there are a myriad of ways that we could enter the text and speak about it for the day. And so we pray for just one thought, please, Lord. One, only one. And then we produce something. The sermon that you hear on Sunday mornings. And how many years, I must admit, how many years have I read this text and walked away saying, Thomas, you schmuck. Well, haven't we all? Haven't we all approached this story of doubting Thomas with that sort of attitude? with that sort of understanding. How we read scripture, how we see the stories of faith working out in their time and in our time are based on the interpretations of scholars and translators throughout the years. And if we've been careful students, we know that over the years, well, over the years, things can change. Mary of Magdala, for example, you would remember her as Mary Magdalene, and you'd remember her as a prostitute, right? Well, wrong. She is but a follower of Jesus, a, a disciple. That's what disciple means, is one who follows. She is a disciple. 
And she was a disciple up until the time of the popes prior to the Protestant Reformation who were having an issue with women being in power. And so they translated the text with their eyes. You see, a woman who would be that intimate with our Lord in their time, with their Lord, most certainly had to be a wanton woman, a prostitute. And you know, that has stuck even till now. There are many congregations out there who see Mary of Magdala only as a prostitute and not one of the faithful disciples. Many other women have been diminished in their tasks over the years by translators who are basing their understanding of a biblical text on their current understandings. I mean, look at what we do with Peter. I admit I have made a cardboard character out of Peter over the years and probably called him a schmuck too. Peter, who sometimes gets it right, but more often than not gets it so wrong, and we say, can't you understand you're in the presence of the Lord? And no, he couldn't understand that. For the story had not played out fully in his life yet. But nonetheless, we slap a label on him. And keep him on a particular shelf to pull out any time we want to. That's what we do with Thomas every year. Thomas is usually identified as Thomas the twin, which is a repetitive redundancy because Thomas means the twin. We call him the doubter, the one who doubted, and we paint him with such bold strokes that it's hard for us to wash away our years of interpretation to see Thomas anew. You know, the text does not tell us why Thomas is not there with the other disciples on that day when they see the Lord, there's no, no listing of why. Was it family issues? Did he miss the memo that they were getting together behind locked doors? Was he personally distancing himself from the others and Friends, lest you think social or personal distancing is something new, it's been a part of our existence all along. Jesus appears to the, the, the disciples minus Thomas, and they are enthusiastic, which literally means possessed by God's spirit. And that's what Jesus does. He takes that deep breath and exhales 
the Spirit of God upon them. And they say later on to Thomas, who wasn't present, come and see. That is a recurring theme in John's gospel. Come and see. It is an invitation into who they are and who they have become, especially in light of the resurrection and the giving of the Spirit. Come and see, they say. And Thomas says, hell, you know, unless. And we question for ourselves, is that a lack of faith in Jesus? Is that a lack of faith in what the disciples, his, his good friends are telling him? Is it just disbelief? And so they gather together again the next week, still behind closed and locked doors. And Thomas utters the ultimate confession of faith. He says, my Lord and my God. And yet we still paint him as a doubter. Thomas didn't need to join the disciples. He didn't need to tell them anything in particular. He didn't need to have his mind changed, but he did. He changed his mind. And in changing his mind, he changed his faith. This year, I have come to like Thomas more and more. Not Thomas the doubter, but Thomas the one who changes, the one who adapts, the one who gives something back to the Lord in faith. My Lord and my God. He makes that ultimate confession of faith. And answers the question, just who are these people who are gathering behind the doors? If you remember, I asked that question early on of you as a congregation. Who are we? Who are we? And there were a lot of really great answers, and we put those up, and they're still in Fellowship Hall. They may come down pretty soon, but, but they're a good reminder about who we are as the church, as people of faith, as those who have gone to the empty tomb and been with the disciples that week later, and as those who are like Thomas who are ready to open up their minds and their hearts to the Spirit of God present in them. Who are we? 
people on the way, we say. Those who are willing to change our minds when our hearts are changed. And especially those who are willing to change our minds when our hearts are changed by the Spirit of God blown in and amongst us. How good and pleasant it is for those to, children of God to live together. It is like a blessing flowing down. Who are you? People of God. Amen. I invite you to join together, muted of course, as we affirm our faith together. And and I remind you that even though we are not in the pews and standing with and by one another, able to hear one another's voices as we say these words, it is important for us to say them nonetheless. Let us affirm our faith. This is the good news which we have received, in which we stand, and by which we are saved, if we hold it fast. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared first to the women, then to Peter and to the twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is our Lord and our God. Amen. Please join your hearts with me in our prayers for the people. God of the Easter season, you come into our midst with resurrection power to free us from the realities that enslave us, that keep us from the fullness of life you desire for all your children and for the earth itself. Help us to be open to your presence in our lives, even if it means facing difficult circumstances that bind us and keep us from living fully. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for your church amid the conflicted times in which we live, that we would serve you faithfully and be the place where wounds are touched, attended to, released, liberated, and redeemed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the people in every land that we may seek the common good and work for justice and peace for all the people and not just the few. For all those who hunger and thirst, that they may be filled with good things. For those whose rights have been abused or rejected, may we stand in solidarity with them and be a witness to justice. And we pray for those whose lives have been torn and traumatized by violence. May we be agents of your love 
to each of these, your children. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of the nations, we pray for elected officials around our globe. Help them resist greed, prideful ambition, and partisan gain in order that they may serve the welfare of all, especially refugees and immigrants in our midst. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of salvation and healing, we come to you as a people who continue to struggle with overwhelming challenges of the pandemic. We pray for special measures of strength and endurance to weary healthcare workers and to all who are now facilitating vaccination. May your comfort be with all who are sick and all who have lost loved ones. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Dear friends, have courage, hold on to what is good, return no one evil for evil, support the weak, 
help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing in God's spirit among us. Go, 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 for God is with you. Amen, amen.